Tonight, let's turn to Amos chapter number one. Amos chapter number one to begin with. All right, I'm not going to talk about Gaza that much tonight, but I do want you to notice what it says here in Amos chapter one, verses six and seven. Amos chapter number one, verses six and seven. Thus saith the Lord, For three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they carried away captive the whole captivity to deliver them up to Edom. But I will send a fire on the wall of Gaza, which shall devour the palaces thereof. I couldn't help but think of verse 7 when I watch the news these days. I'm not saying that that's the fulfillment of verse 7, what we're seeing, but uh, I just want you to notice that Gaza, this was written 750 years before Christ. Gaza has always been a troublesome place on earth, always. And uh, it's mentioned not quite 20 times in the Bible, but it's always been a troublesome place on earth. Um, and of course, it was the home of the Philistines uh, in, in Bible times, and they were always, always Israel's enemy, always. Palestinians are not Philistines. Some people try to make that equation, but, but it's, it's not true. Uh, I don't believe I've studied it out. But anyways, um, Palestinians were never Palestinians until, as we have studied, 1963 was the first time anyone called them that. They've never had a state. They've never had a nation. Um, they were called Arabs before that. And they were called Palestinians after 1963 because after the 1948 Arab-Israeli War, they designated uh, the southwest little strip of land, about three, four, five miles wide, 25 miles long, along the Mediterranean uh, Sea as uh, Gaza, the, the biblical Gaza, and they gave that to the uh, Arabs after the war, uh, still under Israel's control, but they gave that to them, and, and, and this, this might not be a, a perfect uh, illustration for sure, but uh, it's kind of like the reservation system that we've had in America, uh, where they've, they've got their own land for the Native Americans. Kind of like that, kind of like that. And of course, Hamas was a political organization, I'm just reviewing just briefly here, that was started in the late 1990s. It's a real Johnny-come-lately political system to human history. And they won the election in 2006 to become the governing political body over Gaza, but they're a bunch of terrorists, and they've never relinquished that. They've never allowed another election since. And they have indoctrinated uh, many of the Palestinians, not all of them, uh, to become terrorists. And uh, so Gaza's always been a troublesome place on the earth and a troublesome place to particularly the nation of Israel. So what we're seeing today is nothing new. Quite extreme what we've seen in the last month, but nothing new. And uh, verse 7, I just found interesting. I don't want to make too much of it, but the Lord said, I will send a fire on the wall of Gaza, which shall devour the palaces thereof. And uh, boy, a lot of that... A uh, little segment of land is, is, is being destroyed, the buildings and everything right now. But anyways, tonight we're talking about history. 
uh, our uh, first study uh, that we studied was on terms of the Middle East War, terms. The second was on geography, the geography of the Middle East War, and there's notes over there, pages one through four on terms, and then the maps on geography, and tonight history, and hopefully next week, prophecy, and then we'll just be done. I mean, there's no way I'm even coming close to uh, explaining the whole thing in, in four short lessons, but then we'll go into Thanksgiving, but we'll talk about prophecy, and boy, some amazing Amazing prophecies. Um, you might not know this, but someday Israel will be driven off their land. Uh, they will be driven off their land. And uh, we hear the chants nowadays from the river to the sea, uh, Palestine will be free. And that is a chant for the extermination of Jews who live between the Jordan River, the river, and the Mediterranean Sea, the sea. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Whenever you hear that, between the river and the sea are the Jews. And they are calling for the extermination. That's in their charter. That's in the charter of Hamas. That every single Jew on earth must die. And uh, so we hear that chance. We even heard one of the Democratic representatives, Democrat representatives in, in the House uh, of representatives in our country uh, say that chant uh, recently. Uh, Jesus said, and we'll get into prophecy next week, but I'll just give you a little appetizer. Luke twenty-one twenty, and when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Every Jew is going to leave Israel. The next verse says, then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of, the, of it depart out, and let not them that are in the country, enter thereunto. Now, this is a tribulation uh, period prophecy, but every single Jew will be driven off of the land of Israel. And out into the wilderness, as we'll see next week, where God has prepared a place for them, and he's going to just kind of set them aside and keep them from all the danger of the tribulation period, or at least the last three and a half years. And uh, so uh, someday they will be driven off their land. Every one of them, every Jew will leave. But they'll be back, amen, and uh, set up that everlasting nation. And 16 times I mentioned God uh, in his word talks about an everlasting covenant that he has with Israel. Everlasting covenant, everlasting covenant, everlasting covenant. A covenant is an agreement, and in this case it's everlasting. So you don't have to worry about the extermination of the Jews, or their extinction, God's going to take very good care of them, and he has an everlasting covenant. And by the end of tonight's history, I think you'll see God's done a pretty good job taking care of them already, and I'm sure he'll just do fine uh, in the future, whether our country helps or not. I I hope our our country will help. I, I noticed our new Speaker of the House is really trying hard to help Israel in the proper way, in the proper way, and not wasting money on some other things, but just trying to fund Israel. But anyways, there's Gaza. And uh, with that in mind, going back 750 years, I want to caution you uh, not to believe for a second the propaganda that the Palestinians put out on the history of Israel and Palestine. 
you can go to YouTube videos. I've watched them uh, to try to be knowledgeable of their side. They always start their propaganda. They always start their history at World War One. At World War One, and they go from there. And when a Palestinian tells the history of the Palestinian. Uh, Israeli conflict. They'll always start at World War I. They'll never go beyond that backwards. They'll always start there, and then they'll say the Jews did this and this and this. And, and people who only know recent history and don't know Bible history um, may come to the conclusion by their propaganda that, yeah, these Jews are bad. And uh, they, they, they deserve to be exterminated. Uh, but that's propaganda, and we define in the terms propaganda is what? It is information that is based on emotion, not truth. It's based on emotion, not truth. And that's where we get our useful idiots in all the uh, uh, college campuses and universities and all these marches and protests and at the White House. And, and uh, they're, they're just being indoctrinated in, in that recent history. And uh, they don't know the Bible like you and I might. Now, from the rest of the night, Tonight, it might be a little disappointing to you. I'd like you to turn right now to Genesis chapter 4, because many of you have heard all this before. But we want to talk tonight about the history of the war in the Middle East, and we've got to go back to the beginning. Folks, this has been going on for a long time. A long, long. We're talking about over four millennia. There has been war in the Middle East. Now, where did all this start? Even before there was an Israel... We see here in Genesis chapter number 4, verse 8, And Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Now we've got to understand Doctrine. I'm going to give you doctrine tonight. Uh, I have always found that the way to confront emotionalism is by doctrine. By sound doctrine. Get control of your emotions. Get control of your mind. And what does the Bible say? What about doctrine? And uh, I've, just, I've studied doctrine all my life. And so as a result, I don't get too emotional in many of my responses about anything. Now, what does the Bible say? Folks, violence has been around since the first family. Violence and murder has been around. You've got to get that doctrine down. Violence and murder has been around since the very first family. When we see Cain, uh, when he slays Abel, Abel was actually called by Jesus a prophet. Imagine that. The first family had a prophet. And he was called a righteous man. And Cain killed him. Cain killed him. Now, what was it that got into Cain to kill him? That is answered in John 8 and verse 44. If you'll turn there. Or I'll just go through these verses here and uh, you can listen. This tells us exactly what got into Cain that he would kill his brother Abel. It was jealousy and all. We, we know about the sacrifices and God wasn't happy with his etc. But when Jesus walks the earth, some 4,000 years later, he, he gives us this insight <coughs> into our adversary, the devil. 
John 8, 44. You've heard this verse before. Ye are of your father. It's loaded with information about our adversary. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father he, uh, ye will do. Now notice this here. Very, you got to get this doctrine down. He was a murderer from the beginning. All right, what was the first murder? Cain slew Abel. The devil had a part in that. He was a murderer from the beginning. We can come to, I think, a safe conclusion that the devil got into Cain. And the devil caused the murder of Abel. And notice some things about the devil. He's a father, or he'd like to think he is. He's very, very jealous of his children. Now, he doesn't like us raiding his kingdom through soul winning and winning people to Christ, seeing them born again into God's family and pulled out of his family. Ye are of your father, the devil. And so Jesus here is talking to unsaved people uh, who are trying to kill him. And he says, you are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. So we have something else we learned about the devil. Uh, not only is he a father, but he has lusts. He has lusts. Now we begin to see what his lust is. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. All right, when he speaketh, he speaketh of his own uh, for he is a liar and the father of it. So we see that he's a murderer. Uh, that's his lust is to murder. Can you imagine having that lust? And can you imagine having that freedom? The freedom he does. We don't. I mean, we eventually catch serial killers. Uh, once in a blue moon, one gets away or something. But eventually we, we catch serial killers. But uh, not the devil. Uh, he, he goes about that as his lust. He, he, just, he just loves to kill people. I think he's in every hospital whenever an abortion takes place. And it just feeds his lust to see those little boys and girls um, taken from their mother's wombs violently. Violently. Every method of abortion is a violent death. And I believe he just, he just lusts for that, and he, he fights politically to make sure that that so-called right is maintained in countries. He lusts to murder. You've got to know that about your ad adversary. By the way, Jesus spoke of the devil on 15 different occasions. Not the same occasion where Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, you know, told us, no, no. On 15 different occasions, Jesus spoke about a personal devil. Um, they say only 40% of our country believes there's a literal devil. Well, 60% are wrong. I want to believe Jesus more than our country. And if Jesus said on 15 different occasions there's a devil, we better accept that by faith and by sound doctrine. And prepare and know what he's like. Know what our adversary is like. He's a murderer. He's a liar. And he feigns himself a father. And all the lost children who are born in sin as his own. And he fathers lies. The propaganda we were just talking about. He fathers that and he just uh, uh, saturates college campuses, universities, high schools. 
uh, Hollywood, television, news broadcasts with his lies about what's going on in uh, the Middle East. Now, in Ezekiel 28, there's just a fascinating passage that uh, talks about the devil. He's called the king of Tyrus here, beginning at verse number 12, and it just talks about how he was in the Garden of Eden and uh, about his beauty, his musical uh, achievements, his wisdom. He was full of wisdom, extremely bright, brilliant. And, uh, but it talks about his downfall. His heart was lifted up. He became proud, and pride produces wrath. And then it says this about him in verse 19. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror. Thou shalt be a terror. Please understand, actually, the first terrorist is Satan. He is the first terrorist. And as judgment is pronounced upon him, we find out that he would be filled with violence. In verse number 16, he would be uh, profane. Verse number 16, you ask yourself, what, what, what's the origin of violence? What's the origin of profanity? Uh, what's the origin of terrorism? The Bible tells us it's the person of Satan who God made as Lucifer. God did not make Satan. God did not make the devil. He made himself, just like you and I have pretty much made ourselves what we are. Unless we've really yielded our members to the Holy Spirit. Uh, we've pretty much made what ourselves what we are, and probably some of you are not very satisfied with what you are tonight. Um, and uh, like me, I, I want to keep yielding to the Holy Spirit to make me more like Christ. I, I still got a ways to go. What a thing to say about him. And you, you, just, you should study this out to know your adversary, verses 12 through 19. In Ezekiel 28, it's a fascinating passage. But it ends by saying this, Thou shalt be a terror. Thou shalt be a terror. So what is the origin of terrorism? It is Satan. Turn to John 10 and verse 10, and I believe with all my heart, Jesus here in John 10, 10 is talking about the devil. He's saying in John 10, 10 about the wonderful life he offers us. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. What a, what a contrast. Uh, but I won't talk about the abundant life tonight. But notice verse 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal. Okay, he never builds a church. He never starts a college. He never starts a hospital. He just steals them after they've been built. Uh, he does, he, he's never started a godly country. He just steals it after it's been built. After people put the hard work into building churches, um, hospitals, orphanages, he comes along and steals them. Uh, Chautauqua Institute. Uh, that was once a, a, a camp that was designed to do two things, to, st to uh, train missionaries and train Sunday schools, teachers. You go down there today and say, I'm a missionary of Sunday school, they'll tell you to get off the property. They stole that. They stole all the buildings, all the possessions. They stole it all. They didn't pay for any of it. They stole it all. That's what he does. The thief cometh but forward to steal and to kill. That's what Jesus said just two chapters earlier in chapter 8 and verse number 44. 
and to destroy. He's a destroying angel. He just loves to destroy things. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your family, your kids, your grandkids. He wants to destroy this church. He wants to destroy our country. He just, he just likes to destroy things. He's, a, he's like a vandal. Uh, he's like a little juvenile delinquent that doesn't grow up. Just wants to destroy things. And, and don't you see him in these protesters? Uh, don't you see him in these riots and in this looting? And if you stop those people and say, what are you doing this for? They wouldn't give you a good reason. They're just filled with the devil. He just likes to destroy things. So God is trying to save us. God is trying to redeem us. He's trying to reform us. He's trying to transform us. He's trying to give us all the help possible that we need to love him and love our neighbors and even love our enemies and love our brothers and sisters in the Lord and live for others. But Satan is trying to tempt us and provoke us to hatred and malice and enmity and jealousy, to kill and to murder and... You know, Satan, Satan hates us all. You, you, this is something you've got to accept. It, it's not going to go away. I mean, we would love to say, just don't bother me. Just leave me alone. It doesn't work that way. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now, there's no neutrality in this war. And, and, and why does he hate us? Because way back at the beginning in Genesis 1, The Bible says God made man in his image, male and female made he them in his image. So you and I are the image of God. Cows aren't, pigs aren't, chickens aren't, giraffes aren't. He could care less about them. But he hates you because you were made in the image of God. He can't get at God. That'd be no contest, would it? But he can get at every single person who's ever been born because they represent God. They were made like God, and they were made in God's image. You don't have a choice in this matter. He just hates you from the moment you were born. He hates you. There's no reasoning with him. There's no reckoning with him. There's no saying, let's be friends. And so we're trying to talk about the history and the origins of this terrorism that we see. And if you could perhaps... Imagine in your mind right now two people sitting at a table, one on this side, one on this side, and a chessboard in between them. And there are on the chessboard are pieces of great significance, kings and queens, and then some that are maybe middle-range significance, your rooks, your knights, your bishops. And then there's those of hardly any significance, your pawns. <clears throat> one person sitting on this side will call God, the other will call the devil. And we're in the middle. There's no getting away from it. And uh, uh, we're, we're in, in the grand scheme of some movements that are being made uh, right now in history uh, that certainly are prophetic, and we'll talk about those next week. But this is why the pastor was, was preaching recently about the armor of God and putting on the armor of God every day. It's, it's not like, you know, it's just going to, uh, give us a day off or something, or uh, leave our country alone? No, so, so we're in this, this huge war, and we've got an adversary that hates us, 
He wants to lie to us. He wants to destroy us. He wants to steal everything possibly that's good that we have and ultimately kill us and devour us. The word devour means to take the last bite. And um, sometimes when my wife and I were eating at home and we're eating chicken, we have a little bowl in the middle of the table. We call it the nasty bowl. And you take the nasty skin and you put it on there and the, the, uh, the bones and everything. The devil doesn't have a, n- a nasty bowl. No, he eats, the, he eats the bones. The word devour means to take the last bite. I've seen, I grew up with cats, I've seen them swallow little chipmunks. Just swallow everything, bones and all, just swallow the whole thing. And uh, those are just little, little kitties. Imagine a roaring lion. Just crunching those bones. And that's how he is. Sorry. Don't mean to uh, wreck your night tonight. But that's just the reality of it. But then you compound on that in closing three things about Israel, though, that are different than the rest of us. Number one, they're God's chosen people. They're God's chosen. Doesn't mean they're saved, but they're God's chosen people. In fact, God went so far as to say in Jeremiah 3.14 about Israel, I am married to thee. He says, I didn't choose you because you're the greatest. No, you're the smallest. I didn't choose you because you're the strongest or the weakest. He says, I just set my heart upon you and chose you. And he said, I don't understand that. Well, yes, you do if you're a married man. You set your heart upon one woman one time. And you chose her, and she became special to you from all other women on earth. All other women. They're just not the same. Nobody is equal to Leslie when it comes to me in my life. And nobody is equal to Israel in God's eyes. They are his chosen people. And uh, in... um, Genesis chapter number 12, and uh, as, as he was choosing them, he started with Abraham, right? And by the way, Abraham is called Abraham the Hebrew. Did you ever notice that in the Bible? That's very significant. It doesn't say Abraham the Arab. Abraham the Hebrew. And that's the first time the word Hebrew is, is, is used in the uh, scriptures. And he began with, with Abraham, and he said this, and again, most of this is just review for most of you because you're kind of like the core of the church. Verse 1, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So <clears throat> there's seven promises now bestowed upon Abraham. It's an amazing study to just pick those seven statements apart and see how God fulfilled that. Look at the last one. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. The greatest inventors that have ever walked this earth are Jews. They have the most brilliant mind. Almost most of the great, greatest inventions that have ever benefited the human race, including all the Arabs, 
have been, come from the Jewish mind. It's an amazing mind. Did you know the IQ of the Palestinians is, is so low, it's pathetic? And I'm not saying that to mock them out. I'm saying that they have done studies on the IQ of Palestinians. They're not a smart people. You do an IQ test on the Jews, and they're the highest in the world. It is absolutely amazing what these Jewish people, how they have been a blessing to everybody on earth. And in these shall all families of the earth be blessed. But there's that other promise too. There's all these positive promises in here. I'll make you a great news. But he said, I'll bless them that bless thee. I'll curse them that curse thee. You know, here's just a couple of examples. Uh, countries like Niger, Chad, Ethiopia, Nigeria, Burkina Faso, Senegal, Mali. All those countries, in not too distant past, uh, broke ties, diplomatic ties to Israel. And every single one of them since that time, without exception, have been in famine and drought. Every one of them. And you look at the countries that do not have... Did you know there's 128 countries that have diplomatic relationships with Israel? Why? They're smart, that's why. They're smart. That's two-thirds of all the nations on earth. Have diplomat... What what do we mean by that? They have have an embassy in Israel where they they send an ambassador and they have an ambassador from Israel in their country. And they have dip- doesn't mean they're really good friends or anything, but just means they have diplomatic relationships. 128, that's exactly two-thirds of the nations on earth. You ought to study the other third and what those nations are like. The Lord said, I'll curse them that curse thee. And we ought to thank God that we have diplomatic relationships with Israel and we are considered, at least at this time, the best friend Israel has on earth. Boy, that has gone a long ways in blessing our nation. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee, the psalmist wrote. And when, when President uh, Trump moved our embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, that was, that was one of the greatest blessings that you can imagine for our, our, our nation. And he brokered four, uh, brokered the Abrahamic Accords with four of his nations, Arab nations, to befriend Israel. And so he did a lot of good <coughs> when he was the president. <coughs> but there are so many examples nowadays of people that when they break diplomatic relations with uh, Israel, things don't go well. Now, you can strike that up to coincidence if you, don't, if you want. I believe the word. I believe the Bible and the God of the word and what he says. I'll bless them that bless thee. And I'll curse them, they curse them. So that's number one, because they are God's chosen people. Number two, because they gave us the Bible. Another reason why Satan hates them more than all other human beings is because they gave us the Bible. As far as I know, there's only one Gentile author in the Bible, Luke. Maybe there's others too. Uh, but almost all of the Bible, Old and New Testament, was written by Jews. Was written by Jews. And uh, given for the benefit of mankind. And boy, the devil hates the word of God. He hates the word of God because we're told to take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, whereby we'd be able to 
fight against the devil. Jesus, when he fought against the devil, in every case, quoted scripture, quoted scripture, and Satan could not stand up to the power of the scriptures. And he fled. He left Jesus alone. And you and I are told the same thing. If we, if we resist the devil steadfast in the faith, and the faith is based on the word of God, it is our sword. It is the only offensive weapon that the born-again believer has. Everything else he puts on is defensive. But the word of God, and if you and I will memorize scriptures and you find out some of your shortcomings, your addictions, your habits, your besetting sins or whatever, and you start memorizing some scriptures about that fault in your life, that sin, that temptation, and then when you're tempted with it, you, start, you pull that tar- sharp two-edged sword out and you start quoting it, we, we know the devil doesn't have many weaknesses, but one we are sure of, because the Bible tells us, is he does not like to be resisted. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And how do we do that? By the word of God. And the Jews gave us the word of God. Romans 3.1 says, What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there in, of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because unto them were committed the oracles of God. They had the advantage. And so Satan hates them especially. He hates all of us, but he hates them especially because, number one, they're God's chosen people. Number two, they gave us the Bible. And last of all tonight, they gave us the Savior of the world. They gave us the Savior of the world. And when he died on that cross, he bruised the devil's head. I don't know if you've ever seen a snake with a bruised head. Killed a lot of snakes in my life. Hated those things. Used to take a shovel, sledgehammer something to their head. And um, boy, if you've ever seen a, have you ever seen a snake with a with a crushed head? Any of you honestly ever seen it? Okay, a couple of you have. <laughs> they look more alive than they've ever been. When you crush their head, they look more alive than they've ever been. And Satan looks more alive today than he's ever been. But I'm telling you something, he's dying. He's coming down to earth right now, even in our day and age, it seems. In great wrath, we'll see in prophecy next week. Because he knows that he has but a short time. And I don't think this thing's going to get better and better, folks. It's going to get worse and worse. And we better stay close to the shepherd. And stay close to each other and stay close to the church. But listen... The Jews gave us the Savior of the world. He was of the tribe of Judah. He was of the woman. And uh, uh, born of the woman. And uh, he's called in 1 John 4.14 the Savior of the world. And by his blood he renders Satan useless. And uh, people are saved and redeemed and born again into God's family and delivered from Satan. And so... They have that. They don't even know that. The Jews don't even know that. They they, they say, why is the whole world against us? It's deeper than that. It's God versus Satan that we're seeing with the human race stuck in between the devil hating all of us, but especially hating the Jews because they're his chosen people. They gave us the Bible and they gave us the savior of the world. But it's fascinating. If you don't believe in God, you just ought to keep your eyes on the Jews. (laughs) That dinky little country of 
what is it, one-tenth of one percent of all the people of the world are Jews. And yet they've survived the Egyptian empire. That's no more. They are still here, the Jews. They survived the Babylonian empire, the Assyrian empire, the Medo-Persian empire, the Greek empire, the Roman empire, the Ottoman empire, the British empire. Those empires are all gone. Now they're just regulated to stories on bookshelves and museums and libraries. They're all gone. The Jews outlasted all of them. They outlasted the Nazis. And I promise you in the future they'll outlast Hamas, Hezbollah, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, the Antichrist. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll outlast them all. And someday they'll come back into their land. We'll get into this next year. But uh, they're circled right now by terrorists, communists, and Muslims. And they're going to outlast all of them. They're the indestructible country. Someone says, why do you believe in God Israel? Explain that. Explain that, Israel. And uh, God's on their side. They got some rough days ahead of them. They've got some rough days ahead of them. And the whole world is, is just trembling now because of what's happening in a tiny little piece of land, about 141 square miles. <laughs> but uh, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, shall we pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We just see the history. It's not so much about Palestinians and Arabs and Jews. It's about Satan. And it's about thee, O God. It's about your love and patience waiting for the latter rain and the harvest because the harvest truly is plenteous. And it's about great evil taking place in the meantime and the wheat and the tares growing together until the resurrection at the end. But Lord, it sure has given us at the end of history to look back at something that just fascinates us and It helps us to leave the church tonight with even greater faith in Thee, O God, because You've called them an everlasting, indestructible nation. And uh, You've chosen the, the, the little things of this world to just confound the wise. And we worship You. We do pray tonight for Israel to be saved. Lord, there are enemies for the gospel's sake, but there are kindred according to Your promise. Please save Israel. We even pray for Hamas to get saved and Palestinians, Arabs, and communists, and Muslims. And Lord, thank you for saving us, but please, Lord, I pray not one person in this room would let the gospel stop with them. And so help us. Give us grace even the rest of this week uh, to look for someone we can share Christ with. And dismiss us now with thy blessing, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.